Reveille, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. It is Friday, the 23rd of October, 2020. And it is time, donks, for Morning Combat. Hi, everyone. My name is Luke Thomas. I'm one half of your hosting duo. I am from CBS Sports. I am joined by the gentleman over there. He is also from CBS Sports, the conspiracy to my theory. So many good things about him. No one loves bad Reebok UFC slash MMA shirts more than my friend and yours. <laughs> it's Soup himself, Brian Campbell. What's up, BC? Yeah, nobody likes uh, four ninety nine dollars uh, reduced t-shirts better than me as a cheap ass. Luke, I'm fired up. It is yes. Friday, so please, uh, viewers, gather up your jackets. Move it to the exits. It's closing time for the week that was. You know what Friday means. We get you pumped up one last time for the big fights of the weekend. No pants. Uh, family and pets are all welcome. Let's just roll out the balls, Luke, as they say, as my old gym teacher, Coach Peters, would say, you guys do whatever the hell you want. I got to go downstairs and drink some hooch and plan out some football X's and O's. We're just going to roll out the balls here for Friday gym class, Luke, and see what happens, all right? Balls across the nose. I'm ready, brother. I see you went to the same kind of failed American public schools that I went to. Very... Very nice to know. Um, okay, I will say this. It's kind of weird that, you know, for a fight this big, normally BC and I would be on the scene for that kind of a thing, but it's in Fight Island. Real quickly, are you, where are you on, like, we're all going to be done watching by, like, 4 or 4.30 kind of bit? Where am I on the excitement level that we're getting Yeah, like, do you card? like that or not? I absolutely love it, Luke, because, uh, look, we're both East Coast guys, so there's a built-in complaint there that, you know, now that we're old bastards over 40, does the main event really need to come on at 12.30 a.m.? No, it doesn't. But number two, Luke, we're paid to be excited and give analysis and bring it in. You know, I write post-fight reaction pieces and stuff. It's a lot easier to do that at 4 p.m. when you're uh, when you're very viral and ready to explode than you are at you know 1 a.m. on the morning combat instant analysis and you're like who fought again tonight? Yeah, so I'm I'm fired the hell up for this. You know I I, I can only imagine what it's like, Luke, to be a West Coaster, not just to wake up at you know 10 a.m. and watch the NFL, but to like watch a big fight and then like go out afterwards then live the rest of your life. I don't even know what that feels like, Luke, all right? I know. And every time we bring this up, you have the Europeans and who are like, "I watch this every time at 4 a.m. and I had to go to school in the snow uphill both ways." And it's like, "Yes. Yeah, yeah. You know, we have to deal with uh, the reality of watching European sports on our time. Uh, the UFC is a global company, but it's predominantly and at its core an American company." So that's Sorry, why we Euros. get the benefit if of the If it's 3 a.m., you must be lonely, okay? Do we want to take you for granted? I will, I will. But thank you for your patronage. One day, one day, get, Showtime way, get, will make it legal for you to purchase our merch. One day, but that day is not today. Thank you. Get, Gaff is uh, slow with the 90s references today on the counter. just want to point that out. All right, a couple of news and notes. As always, uh, give the video a thumbs up. Hit that subscribe button. We appreciate that very much. If you would like to try Showtime, you certainly may. By the way, there are some fights tomorrow on Showtime. We'll talk briefly about that at the end of the show. It's going to be Showtime.com, 30-day free trial. You'll like it. You can keep it. If not, you can go pound sand. And then last but not least, if you want some merch, which, by the way, neither of us have the indecency to wear MK merch three shows in a row. 
But my, re- deserves- my Reebok contract's almost over, Luke. Then I can jump on the MK. All right. Fair yeah. enough. And I, but if you want to try some of that sweet swag, store.show.com, you can see at the bottom of the screen right there. And it's one S-H-O. other quick note, Luke. We've been filling people's palates with bonus content. Please check out our interview with Showtime Sports President uh, Steven Espinosa. Not just getting you fired up for the big dates in Showtime Boxing to come. Gervonta Davis's pay-per-view. Uh, but, you know, telling some fun Gina Carano stories. Uh, remember that time he... The weasel sparred with McGregor. We got a lot of good shit in that interview. All right, so check it out. Also, I was very surprised you asked him that, but I was very glad you asked him that. In the end, it was nice. It was good work from you. So yes, please go check that out. It's obviously right on here on the Morning Combat Channel. Okay, it's Friday. Big fights tomorrow. UFC 254 BC. Let's hop right into it. Let's preview this card here a little bit. We start with the main event. Now you and I were on CBS Sports HQ. I want to spoil here a little bit, but I want to use it as a way to work kind of backwards. We've given you all the storylines, but let's talk about the fight itself. You kind of believe that Gaethje has a really great opportunity here. Well, he's got a great opportunity, but a great chance at taking advantage of the opportunity. When did you finally come to that decision, and what was the deciding factor? That's a great question, Luke. I came to the decision about a week and a half ago. It really started to think this thing out, think of all the scenarios. And then to be real honest with you, our interview with him, which people can still check out on YouTube, which was a week ago today. I don't know. That really put me over the top. And I know what you can say. Well, you know, it's a, it's sort of a recency bias thing. And this has happened before, right? You interview a fighter ahead of a big fight. He gets, he gets you so damn fired up about his confidence level, Luke. It can be a brainwashed situation, but I am sort of separating the feels from that and just telling you this. I said on CBS Sports HQ this morning, by the way, that, you know, Habib is that rare animal. He's that Floyd Mayweather. He's that super all-time great combat athlete who is unflappable. So no matter what you could say, and last week, by the way, I did say, damn, maybe that bad weight cut and the time off is going to affect Brian Ortega. It didn't, by the way. There are, there are the masters. There are the great ones who it doesn't. Habib has been that great one throughout. But when you start, you know, doing the pros and cons and say, okay, I'll give this edge to Habib, I'll give this edge to Justin, and you start adding it up, look, Habib has been off again for a long time, has had the quarantine dealt with like we have, has had the death of his father, did just have what appears to be a really tough weight cut, which we can talk about in a second. And when you add that with the unknowns of Justin, here's the deal, Luke. Do I think Justin Gaethje's a live dog on Saturday because he's crazy? Not necessarily, but I do believe when upsets happen or when somebody goes on an unforeseen run, and I don't care how big of a Justin Gaethje or UFC hardcore you are, nobody who watched Justin against Poirier and and, uh, and Eddie Alvarez could have believed that two years later we'd be exactly right here, meaning him playing with house money, him coming in as a last-minute replacement against Ga- against uh, Tony Ferguson, him catapulting himself to the head of the line that he would look like the fighter he is today. So, Luke, when upsets happen, what it does is it changes your expectations of what is possible. I I knew he could beat Tony Ferguson. I didn't pick him to do it, and I never would have guessed that he could do it at a level where I've said before on the show that was a close-ish fight and people killed me. What I meant was, you know, it was a savagely even fight in the first two rounds, meaning Tony dropped him. I mean, it was back and forth. But what that turned into over three, four, and the half of round five that we saw was just complete savage domination from a a dude who's just freaking different. 
So, Luke, I didn't think that version of him was possible. And it's not MMA math that just because he could do that against Tony, he could do it against Habib. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying sometimes in this game, the hot hand is hot for a reason. Why in the NFL playoffs, although not an equal comparison, do sometimes it's not the best team that wins. It's the hottest team in the moment, NCAA tournament, etc. There is no one freaking hotter than Justin Gaethje at the moment playing with house money, figuring out how great he could be. He reached a ceiling against Tony Ferguson I did not think was possible after the two defeats, even after the knockout of just of, um, of Vic and, you know, the, the comeback fights there. It's telling me that I need to realize that if anyone is going to beat Habib, it not only might be Justin Gaethje, but it might be right now. It's sort of laying out that this might be the best chance to fight Habib under this scenario, under this circumstance. And it just helps, Luke, that we're talking about a fighter in Gaethje who does have one-punch knockout power, who does have a credibility in some form when it comes to wrestling, takedown defense, physicality. And oh, by the way, is among the most savage athletes we've seen at the elite level who will leave every drop of what's in him in that cage. Yeah, I like Justin Gaethje on Saturday. You know, not enough to do the, this is your big bet of the year and, you know, all that and do the anti-Luke Thomas and tell you, this is the pick. But I'm going with Justin. I think he's going to do it on Saturday. If Habib wins, he is everything and more that we thought he was. And we're going to see if he can go 30-0 and and maybe he does walk away. Gaethje's got a real chance on Saturday, Luke, because we don't know how great he is. I don't care how many times you watch the Tony fight. I don't care if you did four dissecteds on him. Luke, you don't know where Justin Gaethje's ceiling is, and that's a scary spot to be if you're Habib. All right, well, now that that filibuster is over, I would say there's a lot of that that, that I actually... That was passion, Luke. That was passion from, 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 my, hey. from my A cup to you. That was, you know, that listen, was the sometimes milk. Pe- listen, you. sometimes people are so committed to the filibuster that they defecate on themselves. That's happened. But, okay, here's the deal. I actually agree with a fair amount of that. There's not, there's not a lot in there that I'm like, eh, it's terribly wrong. I think, I think you're right. I mean, you know, if you had told me he was going to beat Vic when he did, okay, that was believable but you know he was still coming off those two losses so that was surprising to a degree to a degree um and then you had the barboza one and i thought he might beat barboza but not like he do he ran through barboza if you would told me he would have beaten cerrone i would have been like okay but the way in which he did like sort of stepping back at an angle letting cerrone come linear in a linear fashion and then cracking him the way he did that was just very spectacular and then if you told me he was basically going to stop tony with strikes in the fifth and i'm going to call that fight one-sided because i think it was one-sided I would have been like, holy smokes, like, wh- what, how, how, how is that possible? You know, you're right. Like, we don't exactly know how good Gaethje is other than to say he's massively improved. And we have some things that we've pointed to, right? I've, I've talked about his offensive volume going down, but going down because the quality is going up, right? So it's so much better there. And he's much more judicious with his distancing and his range and, and all of that. The thing that I have trouble with is that, Here's the thing about his striking, and this is true even in the Tony fight because Trevor Whitman was on his ass about it. Gaethje doesn't have small movements, right? He has big movements. Uh, not everything, but when he throws a punch, a lot of times, man, maybe he's, maybe he's switching stances to get in there, right? He's doing all the extra Trevor Whitman stuff. He has big motions, and as a consequence, there's just a ton of opening there when you do that. And I think he's going to have to pressure Khabib. Now, maybe not the entire time, 
but I think the majority of the time. Now we've talked about this. Number Medvedev's takedowns are uh, and you know control there is not as ironclad as people tend to think. Yes, he eventually gets it, but he whiffs a fair amount. I mean, it's, most of his opponents stuff most of his shots. It's actually a fair thing to say. But Justin is going to do what he normally does, which is he's going to be smarter, more calculated, but he's got big motions. Dustin Poirier was able to do the exact same thing that I think Nurmagomedov is going to be able to do, which is get under him. There was two takedowns, I think, or maybe more, but there was, I think, uh, one real takedown that he got on Justin. And he actually picked him up and double-legged him and slammed him in the middle of the cage, flat on Justin's back. Now, Justin, to his credit, did not consent to the position. He used butterfly hooks and an underhook to stand almost immediately. But that's Dustin Poirier. I mean, that ain't Nurmagomedov. It's just not going to go as easily that time. And so for me, it's like, how does Justin win? Defending the takedowns, yes, but at some point you got to put hands on the guy. And when you put hands on the guy, I think, he's gonna, I think the leg kicks are going to work for him, BC. I think that's going to be a really strong component. But at some point, he does his best work with his hands. And then to do that, you got to get in range. If I can touch you with my punch, that means the other person can double leg me. And if he's taking a huge motion, I just feel like, Nurmagomedov is going to be able to get under that. And one more point I would add to it, and I think you might agree with this as well. Nurmagomedov is not an efficient fighter. Like, his first pass doesn't work. His second attempt at a pass doesn't work. His first two takedowns don't work. It's just the relentless onslaught. It's the waves crashing into the ocean. And yes, he does some things differently. The wrist rides, the leg rides, you know, all that kind of stuff. Once he gets you into that world, well, then it's the show is over. But I mean, you know, initially pulling you into it, you know, it takes some time. He's somewhat inefficient. But my God, the work rate is extraordinary. And that work rate is on predominantly his terms. I mean, Justin Gaethje has outright said he doesn't like to wrestle because it tires him. It, it, it means anyone who's ever wrestled will be like, yeah, that shit is super taxing. Eddie Alvarez told me in a 25-minute fight, you can only really wrestle for 15 minutes. You look at uh, Nurmagomedov, he's taken the third round off a number of times in his fights. So all that is to add up and say, the, the things we don't know about Justin can lead you in either direction. Don't know means uh, is not the same as can't. It just means we don't know. He could be so ready for Nurmagomedov, he's going to blow the doors off of him. If, if, if he won tomorrow, you should not be surprised. I just feel like what we do know leads me to a direction of a bit of the safer course. Now, well, BC, let me say it. Let, yeah, hold well, on. Yeah, go real ahead. quickly, real quickly. I ended on that last note with the work rate, which I know we both agree on. We had the weigh-in yesterday. You can respond to whatever you like to, or the weigh-in, I guess, last night, something like that, whatever you want to say. And Nurmagomedov looked like shit. Let's just call it what it is. He looked like shit. How much of a factor is that? And where are you on weigh-in gate? All of that. You know, you, you, it's tough. It's tough. You, you go in waves. It's an emotional reaction because you see a guy really struggle and you want to, you know, hold it against his chances. And then again, like Ortega, who look, there's a difference. Ortega shaved his, his hair we didn't necessarily see him life or death on the scale, but we have seen guys. We've seen Connor at featherweight look like freaking hell and respond great in the fight. We've also seen it really matter. Uh, I do. It's not that Habib hasn't had you know weight cuts that are bad. It's not you know he's had. This is a fight for him to get there. But yes, he looked like shit. He had to pull the. He had to go bare ball. He had to really go for it to get it. And here's the most telling part, though, Luke. His uh, relief when he did get it. His, you know, turn to the skies and thank you. Uh, it didn't look like an act. You know, Habib doesn't do stuff for an act. It looked like 
this was a, a monster relief. And since Habib is so damn stoic, Luke, historically, right? He doesn't show you his cards. He doesn't respond emotionally unless you're pulling a McGregor and you are just so over the top, you know, grading on him. That that tells me it's something, Luke. That tells me it's at least something. And I like how you and I just gave our separate sort of state of the unions in this very civil MMA presidential debate right here. <laughs> we didn't need Kristen Welker or Jay. No Jay Fridays in the house. There, shout out to Gaff in our ear. I gave a very emotional response based on recent circumstances. You gave a very analytical, consistent, historical response of why Habib should win this. Obviously, look, let's be honest. Like even the truth on political matters, the truth's going to be in the middle, right? When they blend together and two become one. And in that middle, there are ways for Justin to get Habib off his game. Habib is always dictating the terms. You have to play Habib's game. You know, if Justin can catch him coming in with a hook and hurt him, that can change the flow of the fight. If Justin can stuff some early takedowns or get up quickly, there are things he can do, Luke, that can rattle what Habib has used to. Can you show me a fight on Habib's incredible ledger? Maybe outside of coming back from getting wobbled a bit by Michael Johnson in which he lost control of the terms of a fight and and got them back. I mean, maybe the, the Gleason Tebow fight, he had some trouble doing what he wanted to do. But we see a guy, and, I, and I'm not calling him a front-runner, but who fights in a very front-runner-ish style. Anytime you are always in control, like Tyron, like the most of Tyron Woodley's welterweight title reign, you kind of become a front-runner in that sense. I'm not saying it's not in Habib to react, adjust, show toughness, figure it out. Good God, his intangibles are freaking legendary. But we haven't seen it, Luke. We surely haven't seen it at this super elite level. So again, if you are adding in the potential emotional reaction of what this weight cut might mean, I do believe Justin Gaethje has opportunities here, Luke. Windows to get Habib off of plan A. It's going to be up to Justin and Trevor Whitman to be able to deliver in those spots. And if those spots come in four and five, like you mentioned, to have the stamina to carry that out. But yes, to sum up your first question, I do think this this weight uh, adjustment, this weight issue has to be looked at with, with, with serious eyes. I'll say this about the weigh-in gate. Habib looked terrible. I actually saw him at 209 before he fell out. Remember that? Like he made it all the way to like before the weigh-ins or like right after the weigh-ins. I can't remember anymore. And then went to the hospital. I remember. Were you there? I interviewed him at media day. This was like the rematch between Thompson and Woodley. Did you go to that? No. I did um, that. Uh, so I went to that one, and I remember distinctly putting a microphone in Nurmagomedov's face for because uh, he was you know it was media day, and I'd never seen someone so cottonmouthed in all my life. I was shocked. I mean, I've seen cottonmouth. I mean, it's common actually. But not to that extent. He looked like he'd been walking through the Sahara for a week straight. I mean, it was horrible. So the fact that he didn't make it was pretty bad. Here he actually made it. And he's had tough cuts before. I tend to think it may play a factor if the fight is really difficult for him. But short of that, I don't think it's a factor. Where are you on the idea that the guy who did the weigh-in kind of cut Nurmagomedov a break? Now, I think that... (laughs) couple of things. If you've been in the media game in fight sports for a long time, you realize that, yes, we all have a set of rules, but there are just some rules in fight sports that are sacred, and then there are some that are not as sacred, depending on the situation. Did Nurmagomedov definitively make 155? Because for folks who may not know, or just as a reminder, 
For a title fight, you do not get the one-pound allowance. Like For example, Whitaker made 186 because it's a non-title co-main event. This is a title fight. So you have to make, in this case, 155 on the nugget and not an ounce more. They don't use digital scales. Number one, I don't, I mean, listen, maybe this is conspiracy theory Luke speaking. BC, I don't think they use non-digital scales on purpose. Because if they really wanted to know what your exact weight was, they would just take the guesswork out of it. There's a little bit of human intervention in the mechanical scales that they use. Did it look like the guy called it without waiting for the weight to fully settle? Like it hit 155 and he was like, okay, good. Maybe, but do I care? I definitely don't care. Where are you, BC? Yeah, yeah the, don't Eddie Bravo me on this. And you know I love me a, a sick conspiracy <laughs> theory, a juicy one. I didn't see it. Look, this, this wasn't, uh, what was that, UFC 210 in Buffalo? We didn't see uh, DC hold the towel. Yeah, Pearl yeah. Gonzalez wasn't banned for enhancements. You know where I'm going with that, Luke, right? Yeah. Yes. Uh, <laughs> on this particular issue, do you care, though? Uh, no, I thought it was fine. I thought it was kosher, but, uh, you know, again, don't overlook what that could mean. And, uh, Luke, do you look again? Thank you, UFC, because this is another, uh, this fight has really risen. I don't know if Dana is sort of like, well, this could outdo 229. I don't know anything about that. All right. Whatever. Your digital numbers are just that, whatever. But Luke, would you say there is a buzz and anticipation for what the first, you know, two rounds of this fight will look like that? really exceeded what you may have thought coming in. I mean, this feels like a super fight, not just a really, really good and important UFC pay-per-view in an already really good year, despite everything in 2020. I feel like something happened this week, maybe just really good promotion that really put this at another level. Yeah, I mean, a couple things. I always tell folks, like, what's my barometer for how I know casual fans are interested? Like, I don't have friends who watch fights except for, like, the biggest ones. I've had several reach out about this. That was my first sort of spidey sense, like, okay, there's a wave coming in. And then you and I know on the CBS Sports HQ side, the more they're asking for our services, the more they care. Well, we've been in demand over there, so that's another one. And then how much do radio stations around the country ask me to come on their shows to preview the fights? You know, the more that happens, the bigger they are. That's been happening a fair amount uh, for me as well. So it's like, man, all the pieces are lining up in a huge way, which is amazing when you think about it because, you know, it's not happening stateside. Um, we're living in a COVID era where it's hard to get the word out with media. Like, it's just, you know, for this to have this kind of buzz, you're right, dude. UFC's killing the game right now. There's just no denying it. Let me tell you, though. One thing I will say that I really think is going to work, well, I, mean, I don't know, but I think one thing that could work in Gaethje's favor and why people are excited more generally is, you know, Nurmagomedov's a global superstar. But in terms of the fight itself, BC, I put out a video on my personal YouTube channel looking at the particular wrestling styles of Gaethje. Gaethje doesn't play the same game that Poirier was trying to. And I realize that Gaethje wrestled in college, so it's a little bit different. But here's what I mean. Poirier was like, listen, if he takes me down, I'm going to get back up. Gaethje's not going in there with that mentality. Gaethje's like, uh, you know, if I have to get up, I will. But my plan is to not even get there. And one thing I noticed in the tape was Alvarez tried it. Poirier tried it. I think Johnson may have done it as well. But first, certainly those two guys tried it. Now, those are not Nurmagomedov-level wrestlers. Not even close. But both of them tried to pin Gaethje against the fence and every time whether he was tired or rocked or whatever he never let them he never lets anyone pin him up against the fence well that's where Nurmagomedov does his best work I think early 
it's going to be very interesting to see to what extent is Nurmagomedov able to get him to the fence line, BC, because in open space, yes. he doesn't get a lot of takedowns. When he eventually gets them, it's along that fence line, and that's terrible. And even in our interview, BC, Gaethje was like, I got to stay off the fence. Even he knows, man, that's a place you just don't want to be. He yeah, has a skill. Gaethje in the corner. Nobody. Yeah. Nobody. <laughs> he has a skill built in, mental standpoint, and on the mat itself, to never go there. I think that's the battle that's going to decide everything, especially early. Look, I have two important questions around about Gaethje, according to this fight, you know, that, that affect this fight that I really want to ask you. And you can, for this first one, you can tell me if we are overblowing it, if we're making Trevor Whitman a Jedi, uh, you know, master here. But the Trevor Whitman factor, Habib mentioned during the original teleconference, you know, Justin's a good fighter, but he's so well coached. He kept going back to the coach. I don't have to tell you what Trevor's done with Rose and what's you know, he's a master strategist. Sometimes again, when an upset happens, you're like, man, I didn't see that coming. I didn't think that was possible. Are we not looking deeper into the fact that if any one coach could, could game plan against the great Habib, it might be Trevor and he might have the perfect foil and a guy who buys into everything he says and is willing to carry it out. Is there any extra magic surrounding that in your eyes? Yes. I, you don't want to believe that somebody can just be, you know, that one coach can look at it and just be ahead of the game. But they can be. And you guys know I, I jock them probably too hard than, uh, harder than I should, but it really is true. I've had a conversation, you know, off the record with Eugene Behrman. Like, what is it you see in the game that's missing that you guys are able to fill? And he went through and delineated it for me. And it was one of these moments, man, where I just took the red pill, like, immediately I, I i did i had never seen the game that way until he showed it to me and now i can't see it differently and the way in which he was able to explain it was just magic now trevor whitman has never shared his his wisdom with like that with me maybe one day i hope he does but the little pieces of information that he lets out tells me that they see the game just a little bit differently than everyone else and those differences can make huge 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 uh, impacts in fights. Is it going to be enough against Nurmagomedov? I don't know. I guess we'll see. But to answer your question, do I think Trevor Whitman understands the game such that he can game plan or build into somebody who has a connection that, he, you know, Adesanya, Behrman, Gaethje, Whitman, that kind of connection, those best practices that other people just don't see? Yes, I absolutely believe that. And look, in one fight with Kamaru, he built in a level of striking sophistication and poison patience that I don't think Usman showed before. So it, it is, let's tip the cap to him. Number two, Luke, do you put any stock in what Gaethje said over your life's history that if one man can hold you down, two can rape you? Because I was <laughs> caught off guard by that, Luke. He used that in other interviews too. It's like, that's his go-to apparently. I was like, dude, if, if one can hold you down, one can rape you, right? <laughs> I, you know, I've, I've never been on the bottom, Luke, so I don't really know. But, uh, yeah, wow. I mean, right. I was like, uh, you know, it, you know this, but here's the thing. It's like that's indelicate and a little bit rough around the edges in terms of the thinking through things. But you got to understand what these athletes are trying to do here, right? Fight, this, I always tell people, like, fighting is not normal sport. I'm not even sure fighting is sport at all. And the, the mentality you have to have for certain situations and – for, for readiness generally, listen, it's, it's not the kind of mentality you should probably share in polite society, but if it's the kind of mentality that helps you win, go to whatever place that maybe you need to go to. 
And I think Gaethje kind of embraces that darkness, frankly, a little bit, both in terms of what do I have to do for self-preservation and what do I have to do to, to really hurt you? And I think that's also what really makes him quite dangerous. Well, look, Gaethje, um, even though he's a refined savage, Luke, obviously he's a savage. So when I asked him that question in our interview about that dark place, about not only being willing to go there, but but wanting to. And, and, you know, the original UFC version of Gaethje was like, how quickly can I get you to that dark place? And it was, by the way, interesting hearing him saying how addictive those, um, you know, the... the the, the shit your body fills you with during those life and death moments. It's a, it's an interesting drug, I guess, you know, uh, you know, cocaine is a hell of a drug. I'm sure, you know, death is as well. But uh, Luke, I did want to ask you, do you believe if this fight goes completely off course for Habib, if he is suddenly in survival mode and it's a Gaethje style war that he both has the striking efficiency slash defense mixed with the, the, the Dagestan balls to meet Justin in that spot the same way Eddie and Poirier did and have a chance at beating Justin at Justin's own game should that be called for? I, I don't know that I see that as the likeliest thing. Yeah, I mean, I suppose that's possible. I suppose it's possible. I don't know. I don't. I think that's going a little bit probably in direction that it may not go. The only other thing that I'm wondering, BC, is, and I mentioned this, I think, a couple of times, people under, they misunderstand Nurmagomedov's striking. They're like, oh, it's bad. Well, sort of, sort of. Like, if you just watched it on its own terms, it wouldn't wow you. But when you realize that he's got a three-to-one positive differential in terms of strikes landed versus absorbed, you're like, okay, that's impressive. He absorbs less than two strikes per minute, which is very low, super low. One of the lowest I've ever seen for a UFC champion. And then what you realize is he doesn't really truly open up until he's actually taken you down a few times. And that's what makes it work is because at that point, folks have the fear of God in them and they don't want to go back to that place. And so he can just sort of bang on you with things that ordinarily he would not even try. That's why it tends to work. And I think folks have really not wrapped their head around that a little bit. Um, but he's also never been cut, and he's never been dropped. That's what I'm looking for in this one. Even if Justin loses, yeah. can you cut him? Can you drop him? Because then we're going to see truly what you're made of. Because Justin's been cut, and he's been dropped, and we know what he's made of. Yeah, scar tissue that I wish you saw all over him there. Uh, when you are pouring out uh, Habib's stats, though, look, a lot of those stats are when he's in dominant top position on the ground. I'd like to see his standing striking statistics and see how those play out Luke. I don't know how fair enough it'd be it'd be different but I still bet it'd be pretty good all right with that in mind BC let's go now to the co-main event a fight that is breezily passing through no one is paying attention to which I just find utterly bizarre Robert Whitaker taking on Jared Cannonier. okay BC I think you and I are in a little bit more in lockstep on this one I think both of us are leaning a little bit towards Whitaker understanding that Cannonier is a, a live dog. Okay, BC, let's start there, though. Why is he a live dog? Why is Jared Cannonier somebody that folks should take seriously? Even let's Imagine we're talking to the biggest Robert Whitaker fan. First and foremost, the, the idea that here's a former heavyweight who has figured out the right weight class for him. And, you know, on the surface, he brings heavyweight power down to middleweight. Well, even if that's not a thing... 
He brings damaging fight-ending power. But I think even more than that, Luke, he's a late bloomer. And sometimes the guys who have taken losses before, even in different weight classes when they're figuring it out, but stick through that and get out of that, that sort of identity as journeyman or average fighter or who is this fighter look he's figured out the formula and the and you know it may come through the prism of those really weird crystals that he puts in his uh in his jock while he's training i don't know what he does with them luke but keep doing it jared because uh there's a level of confidence in him that's scary and that can be uh, an intangible that can be the cherry on top it also could be luke the driving force this guy believes in himself. I love hearing him interviewed. There is such a suave and cool. It's almost like he knows the ending. He knows the end of the book. You know, there's a secret that you haven't learned yet, but he has. The crystals have told him, Luke, okay? So that matters in this, that this is his moment. This is his chance to, to take that next final step into legit title contention rather than just being a tough out or a guy on a hot streak. It really comes down to that power. He can hang in there, he can take damage, and he can finish this fight. I think why you and I had an issue with the initial line and why you and I have sort of showed our cards that as long as Robert Whitaker is still Robert Whitaker, we like him. I think Robert Whitaker has better talent, has better skills. But Jared Cannonier is a legit title contending guy, and it just so happens that he's entering this fight at the peak of his powers mentally, and that matters, Luke. If you go back and look at his move down to middleweight, the odds makers had him as a plus 300 underdog against David Branch, who Cannoneer demolished. And they had him as a slight favorite over Silva. Now, that fight was weird, but okay. And then they had him as a major dog to Jack Hermanson, plus 250, who he demolished there as well. Finished both Branch and Hermanson. I think KO'd them both, uh, or TKO, at least in one of the cases. Finished them off with strikes, let's say. Right? Now, it's true. They also had him as an underdog against Dominic Reyes, and Reyes demolished him. So it's not like they're constantly wrong. But it is to say that Cannoneer is a guy who took time to get to the right weight class and took time to get to the full maturation of his skills. And as a consequence, there are a lot of people who don't understand how good he is and don't accept the full freight of all the skills he has to offer. He has very good takedown defense. He's quick and nimble. He's athletic, strong for the weight class at middleweight, which was not the issue at light heavyweight. He was way undersized. Like you saw that in the Glover Teixeira fight where he was just getting taken down and passed. He doesn't have nearly those same problems at middleweight. And as a, uh, on top of that, training at the lab with John Crouch, he's just gotten so much better and so much better, right? So he can stick to a game plan. He's a powerhouse for the weight class. He is conventional, and so I think people just say, oh, well, the ones who are a little bit more gifted with the modernity of their um, uh, skills will just be better than him. And I'm one of those people in this particular case, but I do think that I, un I, I, I understand why um, Cannoneer deserves to be more taken seriously than often he is. It's just for me, BC, it's that, you know, are we just going to bury Whitaker because he didn't look super impressive against Darren Till and Israel Adesanya, winning one of those, by the way. He went one and one well, against them. What does super them. impressive mean, Luke? If you outpoint a guy in Darren Till and you, you out-technical him in a fight that I think Till was the reason it became technical, because look, Whitaker sometimes maybe to his detriment, he wants to fight. Luke, he loves brawls. He's a classy, skilled fighter who loves to mix it up in a classy yet savage way. I think Till said, look, the fight's going to be on these terms. 
Robert said, I'll beat you on those terms, brother. What are we talking about that he got dropped once? Okay, it happened. He won that fight. What else do you want from the guy? All right. right? And, the other, and the other part about that is, it's like we talked about with Brian Ortega. He was like, I didn't have the skills to play chess with Max for the uh, for the, the duration of that fight. Maybe a little bit early, but not over the course. Well, Whitaker did. Whitaker did have the skills to play chess with Till for a long period of time. I understand taking Cannoneer seriously. I am telling you, if you're watching this as part of the audience, take Cannoneer seriously. Him winning is not in any way a surprise. The, the, the live dogs or such a, you know, it's, it's a bit of a pick here, but if you want to consider Cannoneer the underdog, and maybe you don't, but let's say you did, and Gaethje. Dude, take those two guys seriously. This is a very, very uh, uh, difficult fight for either person, whether it be Whitaker um, or Habib Nurmagomedov. But I'm just pointing out the way in which Whitaker has come back shown restraint when he needed to, smarts when he needed to, could do it over the long haul. He's got the gas tank. You know he's got the know-how. He's got speed on his side. He's faced very tough customers at middleweight. And honestly, BC, am I saying that Whitaker has the best chin I've ever seen? No, I'm not. Even at welterweight, and I'm sure the weight cut factored in there, you know, he got dropped by Wonderboy. Okay, fine. He doesn't have, you know, the best chin in the world. But I don't think he's got the worst one either. And if he's able to, to moderate and, and calibrate his style for the particular threats that Cannoneer poses, and remember, this is only three rounds. He played chess with Till for 25. He's got 10 less minutes to worry about. He, he can even drop a round, and I feel like he can still do just enough. Maybe not the most exciting fight, but he can do just enough to get in, get out, score, and get his hand raised, and maybe even more than that. This fight reminds me, Luke, of in a way, sort of like DC Anthony Johnson 2, where Cormier's coming in off a loss, yet he's much more the complete fighter. I know he's getting older. I know we'd see him lose at the top level, but you know, as long as he doesn't get caught, he's going to win this fight. That's how I look at Whitaker's chances here against Cannoneer. Got it. Uh, and by the way, which one are you more interested in seeing? Whitaker Adesanya 2? I'm not saying which is bigger, because that's a bigger fight. Uh, especially if they put that in Australia or New Zealand. That one or Cannoneer versus uh, Adesanya? Because understand, you'd be talking about a Cannoneer in that particular case who would have beaten Robert Whitaker. Yes. Uh, I still think uh, the rematch. I think Robert Whitaker is a, a, has more of a chance to beat Israel Adesanya than Cannoneer would. Now, I'm saying that from what I know now. If Cannoneer goes out there and not just, you know, let's say stops Whitaker, but beats him, m- meaning shows that he's the better fighter over the course of that fight leading up to a finish, it could recalibrate, you know, what we think of this. But I think there's potential for the Whitaker out of Sonya rematch and really that rivalry to, to be so good and mean so much that a Whitaker win here on Saturday might get us off the idea of this John Jones out of Sonya fight, at least in the short term, Luke, because, you know, Adesanya won that first fight fair, fair and, you know, fair and clear, knocked him out straight up. But Whitaker was going through a tough stretch in that one. Adesanya was the rising star, the rocket ship taking off. We get that a second time. It's it's a Super Bowl down under, as we know. I think it's going to be a closer fight. I think it's going to be a better fight, and I think it's going to be a great fight. So, and much bigger than 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 my expectations of what a Cannoneer one would look like. All right. What else on this card has captured your imagination? 
you know, it's a it's a poo poo platter of of interesting mixed <laughs> things. I do want to see what Walt Harris looks like coming off of the disastrous Overeem loss, where you know it looked like we had set up for the ultimate feel good story in a way. Although it's not necessarily feel good when somebody loses a, a a child as he lost his stepchild, and a win doesn't you know fix that. But that fight was supposed to be all about look, you beat Overeem, you're a legitimate title contender. Well, look, as we know, for like a minute, it looked like he was going to beat Overeem, and then he screwed up and it all fell apart. I like this test against Alexander Volkov because, you know, A, no one really looks good against Volkov. And and B, he's also a guy, though, if you wrestle him, if you stay consistent, if you stay away, you know, if you can get inside of his his great striking range, you can win this fight. So I like Harris to win this. The odds are close for a reason. It's not going to be easy. But if Harris is the potential title contender that we have seen glimpses of Luke, I think we're going to see it on Saturday, and I think he's going to win. And look, if he can win dominantly, if there's that potential in this, re- really, Luke, he's a heavyweight title contender, a, a, more of a you know more of a dark horse. But but I'd like to see him get this chance to redeem himself because God, that had to hurt the way he lost over him. Yeah, yeah, that's a tough pill to swallow, Luke. I know you swallow a lot of pills so you can sleep at night, but that's a tough pill to swallow. I do swallow a lot of pills. Uh, I'm gonna go with. I'll go Casey, Kenny, Nathaniel Wood. Kenny is one of these rising prospects at Bantamweight. Nathaniel Wood, uh, same as well. Had a bit of a setback, I think, against Dotson, but uh, you know, has, I think, rebounded since. It's very close in the odds. Kenny, a really good wrestler, scrambler, front headlock series kind of guy. Nathaniel Wood, I think, a little bit more deadly on the feet, but he can scramble his ass off too. That, I think, should be a ton of fun. And don't lose sight of... Liana Jojua taking on Miranda Maverick. Miranda Maverick, a yes. PhD candidate, I think out of Old Dominion University in psychology or sociology, one of the two. But she's going to be Dr. Miranda Maverick here before too long, BC. That's you don't see that very often. That's a badass name. That's a great story, A, but that's like a, that's like a, a Tomb Raider, Lara Croft. Like, that's like a badass like action movie <laughs> name, like Miranda Maverick. You know, it's not a stripper yeah. name. It's, like a, it's just like this straight-up hot badass name. Like, shout-out to her on that. Uh, Luke, also... Um, Smiling Sam Alvey might not be smiling anymore. He's got a four-fight losing streak, and he's in there against that Da On Jung guy who's a monster favorite. Are we going to be saying goodbye to Sam Alvey? Captain COVID? I don't know. You know? I mean, I'm not. I don't know. All right. Are you as into, then, the prelim main event, that potential slop fest of the skyscraper against the guy who craps in his shoes? You into that? Because I'm, I'm uh, into Tuivasa here. <laughs> Look, they got to save his job, bro. They're both, they both lost a whole hell of a lot. This thing could be, ex- I know you're like an extra sloppy, Luke. This could be fantastic. Yeah, this is going to be a weird one. Tuivasa is going to be, in the words of Joe Rogan, swinging for the bleachers. And Struve, it's like, are we gonna, is this going to be the Struve that finally fights tall? Probably not, because he's this far into his career, and it's just not what he does. I even asked him about that, and he was like, yeah, I fight the way I fight, so... You know, he didn't tell me to you go know what he looks myself, like in that but... picture right there. You ever see Bill and Ted's bogus journey? Doesn't he look like the damn Grim Reaper in that picture right there? He, lo- he looks like the, you ever seen that dude Powder, the movie Powder. He looks yes, like that dude. Yes, yes. Shout out to Stefan Shroom. I have no disrespect for you, but this yeah, is he's a, a very nice guy. Match. Yeah, yeah. He's a very yeah, oh, nice yeah. guy. Oh yeah, and look, he's been unique and he's got some nice wins. Dude, he he knocked out Stepe Biocic, bro. People don't do that, Luke. He was the next. He was the he was the next semi shilt, but then he wasn't. You know. So you think anyway, he can dunk. Luke, can he dunk? I think he can dunk flat-footed. <laughs> Luke, have uh, you ever dunked? 
I have dunked. I know you don't believe that, but I have dunked. Oh, um, yeah, we had that talk. Yeah, I don't know. No, not you. Okay, you, just because that is incomprehensible to a zero like you doesn't mean it's not possible for me. All right. What are, you, what are you, a solid 6'4", Luke? Like, in theory, you should dunk, but I don't right. I don't see you having ups. You are, you are no disrespect. You, yeah. you beat up some people on a Washington sidewalk in a wife beater, but, Luke, you don't look like the guy. Like, I could see you doing gruff things like, like ground game and power lifting. And, you know, I would, I assumed you were like a D tackle in high school. Apparently you were, you were figuring out the Pythagorean theorem instead, but uh, I don't see you having ups though, Luke. And that's not necessarily disrespectful for me to say. Yeah. It's, it's more well, realistic. Yeah. Well, here's what I'll say. Consistently underrated, consistently overlooked is the story of my career, but dunking on the haters is really the final chapter. So uh, wow. last thing on this, we don't know if Ion Kutelaba versus Magomed Ankalaev is going to happen. By the way, this is almost like the Tony versus Khabib fight at middleweight, but not yeah. quite. Here's what I mean, or light heavyweight, whatever it is. Uh, they did fight in Norfolk, but it was the weird, terrible stoppage from Kevin McDonald. And then they've tried to make it like 17 times since then, and everyone keeps getting COVID. <laughs> So they can't do it. So they finally put it on Fight Island. And then a report came out that Kute Laba's, one of his like cornermen, tested positive for COVID. So they had another dude weigh in just in case. So I'm not telling you as of right now that that fight is off. But be on the lookout because it might be, BC. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the universe is telling telling the UFC, just stop it. Just stop it already, bro. All right? I know, I know just, you're going to have it your way or nothing at all, but I think you're moving too fast. <laughs> you're really making up for your lack of 90s references earlier in the week with today's show. Okay. With that in mind, good sir, we are consistently wrong on this show, and we don't hide from it. In fact, we celebrate it. Please take over. Yes, thank you. This is one of our better new segments there. The other ones, uh, sometimes maybe good, sometimes maybe shit. But this is dead wrong, where we take that L... Look, when you do three shows a week, a lot of shit comes out of your mouth, okay? Sometimes it smells. Let's tell you what did smell. Let's start off here. Luke, when you... Here's dead wrong. That was animation. There we go. When discussing Jessica Andrade's future, Luke, and talking about her sweet high fade, you called Wei Li Zhang the UFC women's bantamweight champ. Bro, she's the damn strawweight champ. Take the L, brother. I know she is. I clearly misspoke. Yes, obviously 115 pounds. That's just, see, sometimes we're wrong because we actually just don't know the shit. And then sometimes we're wrong because I got four hours of sleep last night because my daughter barfed on me and I can't think straight. That was one of those opportunities. Um, But yes, fair enough. I was wrong, but in a different kind of way. Of course, no, she's not a bantamweight. All right. The great Luke Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez returns uh, t- tonight on, on DAZN, actually in a sneaky good card of, of the Superflies. I incorrectly said when referencing that 2017 war with Srisaket Sorungvisai, say that three times, uh, that the first fight was won by Chocolatito at the Madison Square Garden. No, no. It was a disputed and close decision win for SSR, mm. Luke. And then, as we know in the rematch, SSR came back and sent Chocolatito to hell via vicious knockout. Luke, I don't think you're woke enough. That's why we have that show, Boxing Hardcore, to celebrate. There's more weirdness in this sport of boxing, Luke, than MMA has ever known. Even with Joe San and Just Bleed Guy and all that and, and STEM, all that. You don't know the weirdness that goes on in boxing. Let me tell you, 
Sarisa Ketsor Rungvisai, like many great Thai athletes, sold his name to like a company. You know what I mean? Like there was a great yeah. Thai boxer. Yeah, these, named dudes will have, Fa- these dudes will have the last name of their gyms or like here's here's uh, Nakapon Fairtex. It's like what? There, there's a boxer called CP Freshmart. There was a guy Fasan 3K Battery. I mean, it's incredible. So not only do you have that going because that's not Sor Rungvisai's real name. Um, number two, Luke. Do you know that in his native Thailand, it's customary to eat rat? So after he knocked out Chocolatito and got off the airplane in Thailand, they had a plate of a, with a dead rat, and he picked it up and he ate it, Luke. You know what? I'm trying not to shame people for, you know, living in places where you do that. Uh, yeah. Would you eat bugs? Would you eat, like, salted grasshopper or whatever? No, no, I, well, depends on the situation. You get a couple of drinks. Like I always say, look, it's my, it's my Kentucky Derby theory, right? You know, those, those evil rich people in Japan who are buying off the ex racehorse champion so they can serve the meat as a delicacy at a rich steakhouse. I don't want to eat horse, but if I did have the chance, Luke, and you told me I could eat secretariat, like, come on, dude, I got to try it. Right. What's the weirdest animal you've eaten? Not not too weird. You know, I had chances to eat the, the Rocky Mountain oysters, and I didn't, you know, the, the, the bull's ball, whatever. Testic, whatever. please, uh, baby, please. I don't have I mean, I've had, I've had really high-level squid and thrown up afterwards, so, I, you know, I don't really mess around with that, Luke. I don't. That's yes. I have had no. the weirdest meat I think I have had, and maybe I'm wrong about this, uh, two different kinds. One was rattlesnake. I've eaten a rattlesnake before. Not delicious. And uh, the other one was gar. You ever heard of a gar? No. What is what is that? Is that a, a, a tile? These are a these are. It, it's an invasive species that lives in like uh, in like uh, Georgia and Florida swamp. They look like goddamn prehistoric creatures. They've got these huge scales on their sides. They're super long and they eat catfish and they have snout with teeth. I've eaten gar before as well. Uh, that was not good either. Very gamey. Uh, let me tell you one more thing I love about uh, Sorungvisai, Luke. After the two Chocolatito wins, it was time for him to be a star. He took this long layoff, and they asked him why. He said because his longtime girlfriend broke up with him, and he needed a, he needed a year off for a broken heart, Luke. Bro, I, I understand mean, been, that. I've been there. We've been there. Yeah, we've been there. Shout out to that guy being so real. He's like, I'll eat that rat. I don't care what you think. I'll eat that if, shit. All if, right, you've Luke, never, if, you've never, if you've never cried in public for no reason... You're just, you've never been in love, bro. That's just the thing, bro. You know, is it better to have, have loved and been sent to hell or not loved at all? You know, I mean, come on, look, you know, uh, Hey, you know what, you know what we got wrong this week on Monday? Have you seen mm. this shit? And you and I owe a, a debt, a dong of gratitude to the people. I don't know how we missed this, Luke. I don't know how we did it. But when we showed that couple who have already won Halloween with the greatest predator double Halloween costume of all time, <laughs> showing the, the heat sensor of the guy's body. Luke, we missed the fact that Rocco Sofredi <laughs> was hiding there in his BVDs, Luke. That uh, is great. By the way, you know this guy is a three-incher, but I love the how committed he is to the bit where his dong touches his hip. That is yeah, awesome. God bless guy, this gentleman. That guy, if, if I had micro penis too, Luke, I'd be wearing that thing around. But uh, I don't know. How, Luke, how did we miss it? How, I mean, how, you know, how did. You know, dude, that is shameful that we missed that. That is honest to God, pathetic on our part. The first thing we should do is just look at their crotch. How are we, you know, oh, nice costume. You really sold it. 
not even looking at this dude's, you know, pork and beans. Really pathetic on our part. Not good. Uh, Luke, final L we'll take this week on Dead Wrong. We were debating on Wednesday's show if Justin Gaethje beats Habib, he will have beaten Ferguson and Numagomedov in the same calendar year. Is that the greatest calendar year in UFC history? We compared it to 2016, Amanda Nunes, uh, you know, a couple others. Luke, there were we, we missed a few. Some people came at me with them. I, I looked it up. I'm going to read them to you real quick. Just tell me if they belong in this debate. You ready, Luke? Okay, okay. George St. Pierre in 2006 defeated BJ Penn, defeated Matt Hughes. Yes. They weren't washed then. Those are prime wins. That's a great year. Yeah. Uh, Chuck Liddell yeah, but the also. But the 2006 win is somewhat disputed. That's why. For uh, okay. BJ Penn. Chuck Liddell in 2006 beats Randy Couture, destroys Babalusso Brawl, and then wins the giant rematch with Tito Ortiz. That's yes. prime Iceman, yes. bro. Yes, absolutely. That's, all. That's, that's one of those great years. Mm-hmm. All right. Friend of the program, Sugar Rashad Evans in 2008, sends Chuck Liddell to the bottom floor of hell in a star-making performance and then stops Hall of Famer Forrest Griffin to win a UFC title. Is he in? No, but I'll say this. Those two wins are pretty impressive because as a year, I couldn't put that one in there, but uh, he beat Chuck Liddell in Atlanta. The whole crowd wanted Rashad to lose, and when he knocked out Liddell, go back and watch it on Fight Pass, you've never seen an audience so quiet in your life. They couldn't believe that Rashad had done it first. And then the second part was Rashad became the first Ultimate Fighter winner to become champion, so it was historic in that way. But just as like an achievement kind of thing, I could not put that on par with, like, beating Hughes and, and St. Pierre. Oh, sorry, Hughes yeah. and uh, Penn. Our guy Rashad was on the top of the world, though, after that year, and then the Machida oh, yeah. started. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. That oh, was, yeah. I mean, oh, when, yeah, dude, when he knocked him out, and then he did, remember that? He did the Sanford and Son Red Fox bit oh, after yeah. that. Oh, my God. That was, I mean, that was, that was Rashad at the top of his game. Uh, Rafe, uh, well, Rafe, Rafe Bartholomew, how about Luke Thomas? Luke Thomas, how about 2011's Dominant Cruz? Tell me if this fits in. He beat Uriah Faber in their rematch, and then he beat Demetrius Johnson in the same calendar year. Are we no. overrating it because yes. DJ wasn't DJ yet? I was there for that fight against DJ. DJ was totally competitive on the feet. It was that Dominic was better, but he was also bigger, and that made a huge difference in the wrestling game. You know, Brad Pickett was able to take down Demetrius Johnson at 135. Uh, uh, this is sort of interesting. I would love to see how the modern DJ would do up a weight class. We saw that with yes. Cejudo. He did pretty well. But um, it's not that it's not a great win. It's a great win, but I don't think it counts in the way that the other ones do. Did you see, by the way, uh, Luke, that Chatri put out a press release that said <laughs> one championship is averaging 29 million viewers yeah. per card during the quarantine? Yeah. I, uh, okay. I'm surprised the number is that small, BC. I can't believe yeah, it. Really? Just 29 million? Wow. All right, real quick, two more for you. Luke, 2013, Mohawk, TRT, Vitor Belfort. Spinning knockouts against Michael Bisping, Dan Henderson, and Luke Rockhold at 205. Mm. Tell me that, that that doesn't fit in this debate. I think it does, Luke. I yeah, really it do. does. No title at stake, but it does. Okay. It does. And yeah. then the final one, how do we look over this? 2015 McGregor. Dude, Dennis Seaver, Chad Mendez, Money Mendez for the interim title, and then a one-punch knockout in 13 seconds over the king, Jose Aldo. Yeah, I think it belongs in the debate. I wouldn't put it as high as a lot of other choices. The Seaver one was a bit of a setup fight, but he won. The Mendez fight was last minute, and he still won, even though he was injured. And then it culminated in the Aldo win. So, like, there was this crescendo. Um, and for that reason, it deserves to be counted, yes. 
All right, that is dead wrong, Luke. We're back alive again. Okay, we're not. I'm not afraid to take an L. Bring it, bring it, Luke. Okay, I'm like you. I'll pick. I'll pick Gaethje by upset, and I'll eat that shit next week if I have to. All right. All right, very good. Which brings us to our homework assignment, and then we'll do tip to tip very quickly. BC, the homework assignment for this week was to watch Patrice O'Neill's Elephant in the Room. And it was a uh, special, I think Comedy Central aired it. I watched it on YouTube. I paid like five bucks for it or whatever it was. And I rewatched oh, it. Oh, free, bro. Oh, Did okay. You, you're yeah. saying you paid, you paid today for it or you paid no, back no, no. then? No, no, no. So here's what happened. Yeah, back then. And I still had it okay. because I, yeah. So I went back and I rewatched it. Uh, I've got a lot of feelings about it. But I'm the one, I think, I could be wrong about this. But I'm the one that introduced you to Patrice O'Neill. Yes. I will say yes. this is not Patrice O'Neill's best work. Not even close. But it is his last uh, televised stand-up special before he tragically passed away give me your review and your score yeah so look look you know there are certain things i i believe in my my homework and artistic ability and ability to to sort of be critical of you know we're talking music we're talking fights whatever i'm a little underscored on on great comedy specials you know i love no cure for cancer you know i'm a chris rock guy i i don't have a long history though so i came into this a little apprehensive luke if i would love this on the level that you do and would be able to understand its place in sort of the modern comedy special pantheon. So I was almost looking to doubt it. I was almost, almost looking to not pop for it and not laugh. But I got to say at the end of the day, Luke, this was as advertised. This was absolutely brilliant. And not having known Patrice O'Neill, even though now that I watch this, I remember I have seen, you know, bits of his comedy before i just didn't have the name with the face it's oh that guy the big black guy yeah i know i know the big black guy okay luke i'm sorry that it is what it is all right yeah i didn't know his full repertoire and ability to carry out a full special here's what i love about him luke i don't know if anyone's ever compared patrice o'neill to bob dylan but there's a there's a simplistic genius in there and what i mean by that is dylan had a crappy voice and and three chord songs on acoustic guitar with a harmonica yet wrote some of the most important, brilliant stuff that stands the test of time. As I'm watching this with a critical eye, I'm like, I don't know if Patrice has the, certainly has the ability, the delivery, certainly has the charisma. Does he have the material to give for me to give him a high score? And you know what I found out quickly, Luke? It's not just his ability to work an audience, which is such an important skill, uh, depending on your comedic style, he's virtuoso at that, which which extends a joke. It, it it creates more comedy to play off of. It's improv. It's incredible. He's awesome at that. But his ability, Luke, to take a joke, even a simple joke, and just stretch it. Go mm. Jerry Garcia on that. Take take one note with the guitar and just stretch it. And I'll give him this. Every single turn where I thought he had milked that joke too far or he had stretched it or, you know what, maybe he doesn't have good shit there. Maybe there's a couple good jokes, but he don't have a full repertoire. He comes around the corner with another one of those zingers, another one of those next level where you're like, he was waiting, he was playing, you, he was building it, and he brought it. Uh, his delivery is is fantastic. His ability to just prey on... Things that can topics that can be cliche, the difference between white people and black people, the difference between women and men in a relationship, but yet just be fresh and new with it and really be able to take stuff that deep down inside as a guy. I'm not saying, you know, I'm plotting murder of my loved one that, you know, that's a funny extreme joke, but the stuff that is real in a relationship between a man and a woman, I mean, he's brilliant at pulling that out of the, uh, from the surface this show got better as it went on and on, and my score kept getting higher. 
Uh, I don't know. What did I end on for a score? Can we replace this? Because I kept emailing Mikey back and be like, no, hold on. I got I to gotta up my score again. I just finished it here. Um, I gave it a 9.2, wow. Luke. It could be a 10 out of a 10 in this genre. I'm not deep enough to be able to rate that. But I was absolutely entertained, and I'm very, very impressed with his skill set as a comedian, and I'd like you to be able to, you know, tell me if I'm sort of on with what makes him great. You know, I mean, the, the charisma brings you in, but he is really brilliant in his delivery, and I think that's the special sauce of this. Well, I told you, like, with his crowd work, the way I introduced you to Patrice O'Neill was with the, uh, his last recorded special, not televised, but recorded, which he recorded at the DC Improv. DC Improv was his favorite uh, comedy club. He said it explicitly on interviews um, in, in all of the country. And remember, he made fun of that uh, African dude whose name was Tolu. Remember that? Yes. And he just went on yes. a five-minute thing where he ripped that guy to shreds. But here was the funny thing, and I think you picked up on this as well. Whether he was making a joke about why there should be a National Harassment Day in the workplace between men and women. Smell the seat, Luke. Smell the seat. Come on. Right. I lost it. I lost my shit at that moment. I lost I mean, everything. He, you know, I mean, when, he does, when he does all of this, I know that there are probably some uh, women who probably feel attacked. Or when he makes fun of, uh, you know, uh, the, the difference between blacks and whites. I'm sure there are some members of the audience who are aggrieved. But Patrice O'Neill, to me, stands out for two reasons in that regard. One... To me, totally at ease with the audience. I mean, he could just improv if he wanted to. The fact that he has written material obviously is much more polished. But, um, you know, he always said 10% of the audience should hate you at the end of a show. And I feel like he gets there. But I feel like for the other 90% of which I consider my part, I never feel attacked. I never feel like he wasn't in on the joke with me. I never felt like as much as I might be a target as, you know nerdy white guy or whatever he would label me or you as he would still sort of understand everyone's got a place and everyone takes a turn at the stick. And, um, that's just what it is. So I always felt like there was a certain humanity in his insult humor. There was a certain kind of, um, it's okayness, right. To this, uh, oftentimes fairly savage critiques of either society or the way groups interacted. Now, the one reason why I'm going to give it a slightly lower score than you, you can put my screen, uh, score up on the screen here. I gave it a, a – um, let's see if they show it here. I gave it a 9. The reason why is because um, this is Patrice O'Neill wrestling with his mortality. He references his diabetes. That was a major factor in his death. And you can also hear him in the football bit, right, BC, where he talks about the game that they played is not the game that people play now, and it's, they don't even think of it the same. You can see him wrestling with the idea that he's aging out of the world in which he understood. We didn't get to see that fully played out because tragically he passed away. But if you know Patrice O'Neill from when he was like his most gruff, his most in your face, um, still there was humanity to the insult, but it was much more of a command of it's not just merely the way that I see the world, this is the way that the world is. And this one was him wrestling with that way in which I saw it is just being replaced. And so there was, it was almost a little quieter uh, as a consequence. And that's hard to appreciate if you've not seen his other material. But the one thing I think that I hope everyone took away from this is Jim Norton used to talk about Patrice O'Neill and say that when these guys were in their New York heyday in the aughts, it'd be, it'd be, it'd be Bill Burr, it'd be uh, Nick DiPaolo, uh, Jim Norton, uh, Colin Quinn, It'd be, who was the masturbator? Louis C.K.? 
they'd all show up and they'd be they'd kill each other as there there's this uh, cafe above the comedy cellar it's called the olive tree cafe and i've been there i've eaten there it's just a sort of standard middle eastern joint and uh they would all sit in the back there and just you know rag on each other before it was their turn to go on stage and they would all say it'd be you know fairly even contest back and forth until patrice showed up and then when patrice showed up this is jim norton's words you always knew that dad was home he was better than all of them. He was. <laughs> well, he it's was. Like, the... It's like what the SNL people say about Farley, it, and, and I think there's similarities yeah. there. Even though Patrice is not as physical, but it's more like it looks like it comes so easy for both right. of them that it's so natural they don't have to work for. It. That's what I'm saying about the material. It's almost like, you know, he doesn't even care how deep the material is because he's going to make it work. And there's times, Luke, when he's embarrassing women in the front row, and you're like, okay, I almost you're like, is he? Digging for material? No. He's just setting them up and then coming around with the knockout blow. I mean, it's just right. it's brilliant. And the timing is it's very slow and then all of a sudden. Very slow and then all of a sudden. And it seems so intentional by design to do that. But this is the thing I want to mention. He could do crowd work. He was at ease. But comedians have one problem. They think that what they do is a much, in general, a much higher art form than what it is. Comedians love to like talk about how... They are the, you know, they are the therapist and they're the, I don't know, the psychologist and they're the ones, the sociologist and they've figured out everything and like they've really got the most unique view on the world. And more often than not, that's really not quite true, or at least not as true as they think it is. It's always true with Patrice. He is so gifted at looking at something, turning it on its head, representing it to you. And making you believe that the way in which he sees it is actually the right way. And we've been wrong all along. Luke, this that's special you. was very that's good the story at it. Of your, that's the story of your combat analyst career, Luke, okay? Well, I mean, the other part is, you know, wouldn't you say this? He's fearless. You know, talking about titty meat in the front row with people and, <laughs> you know, look, black lady, if you go missing, they're not looking for you. And, like, just, like, these totally taboo topics and just railing right into it, being at ease with it, sharing you with it, twisting it, re- representing it to you. To me, he was the best comedian of his era. It's a shame he's gone, and uh, I miss him every day. And why he's not as abrasive as a dice clay is because I think there's, you know, there's humility. He takes shots at himself. There's sort of, you know, he lays the full foundation so you don't come out of there, even if you're offended, you don't come out of there upset at the end. Uh, Luke, wow, now I see the influence he has on your career as a... Look, what we do is art, Luke. There's an entertainment level, obviously, when you when you get people are paying you to be on camera. So I see that, and I hope you don't perish due to diabetes anytime soon, Luke. Please take care of yourself. <laughs> I'm fine. I'm good to go. And that's it. I hope folks liked it. So there you have it. No, I loved it. It, it really made me want to go deep in, in, in this regard. Maybe, maybe you know, it'll pop up again in our, in our sort of unnamed homework segment here that we do every week, uh, you know, to, to sort of go a little bit deeper on this. Look, maybe, maybe I'm going to go on a run late at night, you know, call up Netflix. Or maybe, maybe I'll start writing my own. Inter- what do you think about Big Beige coming out with an MK comedy special called You're Not Surprised at All? I'm going to throw rotten tomatoes at you in the front row. All right. All right. All right. Thank you, Gallagher. Hit some, hit some watermelons. That'll be my finish. All right. All right. Hit some uh, giant dongs. Yeah. It's our last segment, but take it away. All right. You know what we do every Friday now? It is called tip on tip, tip to tip, just the tip. Here's the tip. Uh, here's tip the tip. tip. No. 
the tips are now touching. Uh, the, the theme of this segment, Loop, is that we are going to give uh, advice, a recommendation, uh, you know, anything here at the end of the week. Just just for a second, just to see how it feels. Luke, I got an email this week. Are you okay? Well, I'm going to read this, okay? Please. It's from a gentleman named uh, Austin Crestos. He emailed morningcombat at gmail.com where you can have your voice be heard, suggest things, tell us you hate us email us anthrax whatever you want to do we'll, we'll receive it he says good afternoon brian i hope this email finds you well i had a quick question how do you take such good care of your old school and new school pro wrestling and mma t-shirts they always look brand new and i know some have years on them is it a specific detergent do you always iron which is difficult on graphic tees with decals how long do you dry them etc and etc no bacon neck ever you're damn right brother just how do you do it? Please share the wisdom. Please, when you have a spare moment, I know you're a busy man, but morning combat is the best thing going today. Woo! Thank you so much for the consistent entertainment. Stay safe. Austin Crestos, a morning combat fan. Uh, Austin and company, let me say it. So, number one, I do have a t-shirt uh, addiction. I try to buy as many of them as cheap as possible because I'm cheap, though. I'm not the type of dude that plans on reselling these later in life. Let's just get that out of the question. I'm not collecting them to wow you. And I'm also not putting them in plastic bags in my closet. But with that said, even going back to high school, I was sort of ahead on realizing that you get a shirt that you love. It's like your favorite t-shirt. Look, you, you don't treat it right. It's, it's going to be gone in two years. You got to ask yourself straight up when you're buying cool graphic shirts. Are you buying them because you love them? You love the way they look on you, feel, look in the mirror, whatever. Or are you buying them because they're pretty damn cool and they make you look cooler? As long as you figure that out in which direction you go, pretty much it's because they make you look cool and you're cooler. So you got to take care of them. So here's the quick do's and don'ts on that that I follow. Now, full disclosure, I don't follow any of these rules during the damn quarantine. All bets are off. I don't shower much anymore. If I go to the hardware store, I'm wearing the same shirt with the sweatpants that I slept in. I think we're all there. But normally... You All sleep right? in sweatpants? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How what fucking you cold in, uh, is your house? Jesus. What do you What do you sleep in? Tidies, Luke? I don't want to know. I don't want to know what you sleep in. Uh, maybe I'll find out at the next Red Shoe Diaries hotel. Oh, you're shoot. definitely uh, the, it, next, the next the next the uh, next room service diaries. We're bunking up. Here we go. You got a t-shirt you like. You got to treat it like a dress shirt you like. Okay. Don't sleep in it. Don't work out in it. Don't sweat in it. Don't have sex in it. Okay. And here's the deal. Again, you're buying them because you want others to see it. Don't wear them inside your house, all right? Go to Walmart and buy a 20-pack of white V-neck shirts. Wear those around your house, okay? Don't be carrying the dog or the cats with them. It's that simple. Wash them like normal. Don't dry them in the dryer. Take them out. Put them on a hanger. You want to avoid turkey bacon neck? Treat it the right way. Don't sweat in it. Don't eat uh, spaghetti with it on. It's just like wearing a dress shirt to go out to work. When you come home, take that crap off right away. Put it back on the hanger. But the real secret, Luke, try not to wash it. <laughs> so don't sweat in it because the more you wash it, the more it gets faded and crapped out. The least you wash these things and the less amount of time you're actually wearing them, the longer they stay fresh. My tip of the week. I understand that because I have these soccer jerseys that are – I get the authentic ones, you know, the real deal Holyfield ones, which are crazy expensive. You can't be wearing them things a lot, man. They only have a few yeah. times you can wash them before shit starts to come apart on them. Even the real ones, you know, you got to be gotta very avoid washing, infrequent. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's, that's how you keep any piece of clothing fresh. Suits, anything. You, you, you got to avoid sweating them. All right. So for uh, my tip, 
I, I told a story yesterday on the live chat. It's absolutely true. I've been lifting weights in my front yard now that the weather's a little bit nicer. And there's this homeless dude who comes by constantly asking to lift weights with me. And I'm like, people are like, you should lift weights with him. I'm like, well, he's always drunk and I don't know if he has COVID or not. So no, I won't be doing that. But but folks always ask me for advice on like, what kind of program do you follow? Blah, 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 blah. And listen, I'm no expert. I'm as a, uh, much of a neophyte on this as anybody else. But I know I found a couple of good places to go for me to get good information about how to structure a program, how to exercise correctly, how to do the movements correctly, how to do dieting, everything, every piece you could possibly want in the whole weightlifting universe. There is uh, a company that goes by the name, and they have a YouTube channel, and that's what I'm recommending, called Renaissance Periodization. Now, this is an entire company. You can go to their website as well. They have books, manuals, online coaching, the whole nine. I don't, you know, I'm not, you don't have to go to that. They have free stuff on their YouTube channel as well. Shouts to Dr. Mike Isretel. This guy is a PhD, I believe, in exercise science. He talks like someone who is formally educated and he's built like a brick shithouse. Uh, they know and understand how to lift weights. They are barbarians who use actual academia and marry the two correctly so every need you could possibly have, whether you are beginner, intermediate, expert, you're 40, you're 20, you need a new program, you've been out of the gym for a while, your COVID kicked your ass, you're trying to get back, doesn't matter, whatever. Shouts to Dr. Mike Isretel and the YouTube channel Renaissance Periodization. It is everything you could possibly need and more. Don't listen to me, listen to them. They got you covered. Luke, was there any chance uh, that was Phil Baroni walking by your house? Because his tweets lately have been troublesome. What is he tweeting about? Uh, that everyone has done him wrong, including Coach Wink and the guy from BKFC and his ex-wife. And now he has no money and nowhere to go and nowhere to stay. And it's sad. Look, the end game on a lot of the great combat sports athletes, it's, it's, it's typically sad, to be honest. Uh, these are sports that take much more from you than they ever give you. But uh, it seemed pretty sad, Luke. And, you know, if, that, if, that's, if that's the, the, new, the Long Island badass or whatever he called himself. New York can you, badass. Can you spot yeah. him? Can, can you spot him, Luke? Can you give him some time on the bench? Listen, if, okay. if the New York badass came by and wanted to lift weights in the front yard, we, I'd be about it, about it, because the win over Dave Manet will never be taken away from him. But uh, alas, it's just some weird jabroni who walks by and is always drunk. So, you no. know, one day, one one day, you're going to wake up in your bed and <laughs> it's going to be spooning behind you, Luke. Okay, it's going to happen. All right, bro. It's, 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 it's time to happen. lift. It's time to lift. All right, Luke. Can I share that 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 conspiracy theory? I'd forgotten about it. Uh, our producer Mikey just reminded me. I, now it's been so built up, it's gonna it's gonna fail no matter what. But can I share that? Oh, now, this Luke? is the Connor conspiracy theory. Yes, yes, yes. It's very simple. Here we go. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw, but this week, but Dana once again in 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 talking to the media teased a major announcement coming soon that would kick off Zufa boxing. And I know at this point we're rolling our eyes and and look, there's a reason why it's taken so long. You just boxing is the old school mafia. You just don't walk in there, no matter your name or the money you have, and have instant success. All the fighters are tied up. Nobody wants to work together. It is what it is. But Luke, I think it's very convenient recently that conor mcgregor was just sticking it to dana publicly and then three days later he's like i agree i'll fight dustin poirier in a rematch and i know we had the back and forth about 2020 or cowboy stadium but i do believe this is all connected this is not inside information this is me doing the math so here's my conspiracy theory 
I believe that Connor and Dana talked to each other and sat down. And they said this. Look, Connor. Um, it's Dana here. Look, look, uh, kid. Hey, kid. Um, the DM thing between us, I'll forget that it ever happened. All right, bro, let's move on. We got to make some money together. I know you want to fight Pacquiao and make a lot of money. I know you also want Habib really badly. So here's what I need you to do for me. This is all connected. I need you to fight Dustin Poirier and earn it, okay? And if you beat Dustin Poirier, I'm going to give you everything you want, which includes a rematch with Habib in April and a boxing match against Manny Pacquiao later in 2021. Why do I think the dots are all connecting with this, Luke? A couple things. Pacquiao just officially, finally signed with Paradigm Sports, Audiotar, Connor's management team after long teasing and back and forth, okay? We know Zufa Boxing wants to be a thing. A guy got hired for it. There are very few, though, fighters that are free, free agents that you can make it happen. One of them is Manny Pacquiao, oh, by the way. But if you're the UFC, you don't just want Connor to go run out there and fight Manny now, whether it's December or even next spring, Luke, right? So you got to give him what he wants, a path back to Habib to try to win it all back and win the title. But I think you also have to promise him what he really wants, which is that Pacquiao fight. And if you are Zufa Boxing, you need an announcement that would win people over. And I still think, although Connor and Manny will be big when it does happen one day, you can't build your boxing promotion off that one circus one night fight so i'm wondering if the big announcement coming up here wow did we go black there did we fade to black luke did, did i is this the apollo theater did i get the did i get hooked? this Can is they still this me? is you at the apollo theater and they came out with the hook to get you off stage yeah that's great can they still hear me are we live i think we're live all right so luke here's the deal bro I believe Manny Pacquiao is going to be the. Here we go. Hey, I believe Manny right. Pacquiao is going to be the debut fighter for Zufa Boxing. He's a free agent right now. He's close with Team Connor and all that. You know who else is a free agent, Luke? We're what good happened? now. We're good. It's a, this is a damn shit show. Uh, all right. All right. Go ahead. Um, Luke, you know who else is a boxing free agent? The guy who was most recently linked to Manny Pacquiao in the past year, but it fell apart. Mikey Garcia. You know, in theory, Manny Pacquiao against Mikey Garcia is actually a pretty damn great fight. If you're going to build Zufa Boxing and have a real pay-per-view, you got to have a real fight that's not a circus fight. What if Dana said to Connor, we're going to launch with Manny and the ideas build to you against Manny for big money next year, for our big pillar next year. But for you to get all that and for us to be the lead promoter, because here's Dana thinking, Connor can go across the street and do this and make money in boxing pay-per-views. But look, there's a difference between Zufa being the secondary promoter like they were for Maymac and Zufa Boxing being the whole damn show and putting it on. I'm wondering if that quick change of heart was, hey, Connor, fight Poirier, you beat him. We'll turn it around quick. You'll fight Habib. And then you'll get Manny later in the year. We all make a shit ton of money. Anything there you like. I like a lot of it. It's just the only thing with Zufa Boxing is I, I buy that they might be working towards Connor and Pacquiao because it's like, why do we want Connor to go fight in boxing for somebody else when we might still take a cut, but when we can just do it, you know? Okay, so that part I, I like. And then the paradigm connection, I think you might be onto something with that. The only thing I just don't understand about Zufa Boxing long term is like, oh, we're going to fix boxing. How? Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. Like, my, in the end, what I think they might just be doing is, wh- how many big fights can we do? Because, like, dude, Pacquiao is, I'm not going to say at the peak of his powers, but you know he's still a very hot commodity right now. Like, how is Zufa Boxing going to get him other than outbidding for what some other promoter could uh, reasonably offer him? Like, you're going to pay him this, the 20% that you pay to the UFC fighters? It's not going to work. So... I'm not saying it's not possible. I think I like where your head is at, but I still have some long-term questions about the viability of, of Zufa boxing is all. Oh, absolutely. I mean, look, short of go- coming in and saying, hey, PBC, right? PBC owns, in a sense, not owns, but manages and in, in, in de facto promotes essentially half of the boxers that matter globally. If Dana came in and said, we're going to make PBC, you know, the new UFC of boxing, you'd have a chance. You know, you'd have to close the doors off and say you're either with us or you're against us, but this is boxing's premier league. In a lot of ways, PBC kind of is de facto in that regard, although obviously they'll team up with other promoters when it matters. But uh, short of that, you're just going to do a bunch of one-offs, Luke. But if you can get Pacquiao under contract and you can, as he ages, and he'll be 41 in December, we do have to remember that, you can put him in there against MMA-type guys and, and stretch this thing out while giving him one-offs and boxing in between. It's possible. I just thought it was very interesting, Luke, that Connor went from F you, here's my DMs, I'm boxing Manny, to, oh, I'm, I'm going to play ball now. Let's, let's mm. play Poirier. Let's do it. I like it where your head is at. Now, speaking of boxing, BC, don't forget, you should tell the folks, Showtime has a card tomorrow, I believe, uh, with yeah, Sergey Lipinets. it's a Showtime Lipinets. boxing Sorry to interrupt you there. I'm just very excited. It's a Showtime Boxing Special Edition card, 9 p.m. Eastern. Look, Sergey Lipinets is one of the uh, the better fighters in, in the world. Doesn't get a lot of pub. Was a former 140-pound champion. Lost his belt to Mikey Garcia in a great fight in which Garcia got dropped. Now is campaigning at welterweight. He had the, really, Luke, one of the best fights of 2019 against Lamont Peterson when he sent Peterson into retirement. He's coming back. Unfortunately, his original uh, opponent with the... Uh, with the, with the Uzbek name, I can't pronounce at the moment, dropped out due to visa issues, but he's coming in there against a guy unbeaten from Canada last minute, and the reason why this fight is very interesting, not just facing an unbeaten opponent, Luke, but it's sort of an IBF title eliminator. They're calling it an interim IBF welterweight championship bout. The winner gets, in theory, the winner of Errol Spence and Danny Garcia on December 5th. So big opportunity here for Lippinets to, you know, play in the mandatory game, but getting himself potentially in another giant fight. He's a fun-ass fighter to watch, so it's definitely worth your time. 9 p.m. Eastern Saturday from the Mohegan Bubble. And then tonight on zone, really good fight card with uh, Juan Francisco Estrada rematching Carlos Cuadros and uh, Roman uh, Chocolatito on there as well. So check that out. All right. Very good. Well, I am pumped. Remember, the prelim card tomorrow, folks, Starts at 11 a.m. East Coast time, and then I think the main is what, like two, two. something like that? Two. Something yeah. crazy. So uh, it's an early start. We will have post-fight coverage for you. We're still working out the details on how that's going to look, but come to MK basically as soon as the fights are over, one way or the other, whether it's live or it's recorded, whether it's me or it's BC or it's both, we are going to take care of you guys. So we are going to have plenty of post-fight coverage. I'll have my dissected up uh, as early as I can. So I just want to remind everyone uh, for that. Luke, can we talk about next week? I don't know. Can we? What do you want to say? You want to keep it a secret or you want to just spill the beans? I like to, to, to tickle the rim a little before before we fist that thing. I like to, I like to, I like to set, it, set it up a little bit, you know? Fucking Christ. Um, I think we should save that for Monday. Save it for All Monday. Right. Hey, great things coming. 
Yeah, there but, you go. Yeah, next week, obviously, is a big week. We we do have the uh, Showtime Boxing Pay-Per-View, Gervonta Davis, Leo Santa Cruz. Also, next Thursday night, you don't want to miss this on the CBS Sports Network. Good God, Douglas Lima and Gaygird Masasi for the Gay-Gurd. Bellator middleweight. Gaygird Yogurt Masasi there for the Bellator <laughs> middleweight title. Uh, definitely want to be get, getting you fired up for that. A lot of MK next week. A lot, a lot of yeah. MK. All yeah, day, a, a lot of, every day. A lot of yeah. Gogurt Musasi. It's going to be great to watch Gogurt. Uh all right, if you want to try Showtime to watch Sergey Lipinets or anything else, you can go to Showtime.com, get a 30-day free trial. Why don't you give us a follow on social media as well? Yes, we have the email address, morningcombat at gmail.com, but we're on social. B. Campbell's on there on uh, the Instas and the tweets. I am too. Morning Combat is on Insta. And, of course, right here on YouTube. Thumbs up. Hit the subscribe button. And don't forget about our merch, store.show, S-H-O, dot com to get everything else you need there uh and we got hoodies for the winter bitches all right hey luke Big, how, yes. did, you, did you pull off that live chat yesterday how'd that work I out i did it worked just fine i figured it out i went just fine so thanks yeah. for asking uh all right with that in mind thanks you guys so much for watching we're back after the fights and then again on monday appreciate you guys watching enjoy the weekend everyone for showtime and malka at cbs sports that's brian campbell i'm luke thomas may all of your gains be loyal